It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. It is September 4th, 2020. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. And thank you to some of the patrons that make the show possible, like Paul, Billy, Brent, Lou, Grant, and Ashley, Sarah, and Barry, and another Sarah, and Patrick, and Shan. I appreciate all of the support. I could not do the show without you, and literally could not do the show without you. Um, if you'd like to become a patron of the program, by the way, go to thepetecalendarshow.com. There are links up there uh, to become a patron, and when you become a patron, you get some really cool bumper stickers suitable for framing or applying them to uh, various vehicles it doesn't even have to be your own vehicle if you'd like to put them on other people's cars i'm okay with that too they may not be just full disclosure but i'm totally fine with that so uh, go to the pete and there's a link up there there's also links in the description of the podcast so you're welcome i'm a giver so the other day when president trump came to north carolina and he made his comments about you know voting that everybody <clears throat> went nuts about there was something else that occurred. There was I, I saw this tweet come down from the PolitiFact NC reporter, fellow by the name of Paul Andy Specht. He goes by Paul, but he goes by Andy on Twitter, so I'm not sure. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, he does the PolitiFact NC chapter. Is it a franchise model at this point? I'm not sure. Uh, he sent out a tweet that said, President Trump mostly stuck to the script in Wilmington. At the uh, at the speech that he gave, not on the tarmac when he was talking about voting and absentee balloting, not that part. But when he actually <laughs> went to the event, he apparently stuck to the script, mostly stuck to the script in Wilmington. He got in a jab at Biden without mentioning him by name. He also mocked Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler, saying he defends protesters even after he was, quote, thrown out of his home, which is an exaggeration. End quote. <laughs> it is an exaggeration. This is <laughs> it's a total, right, totally exaggerated. He wasn't thrown out. He wasn't thrown out of his home. I mean, he just had to leave the condo building because the leftists had attacked it with commercial-grade fireworks. They broke out windows, burglarized a business in the building, and set a bunch of fires. But he was not thrown out of that place. Okay, everybody, just to be clear, if Trump says he was thrown out, <laughs> so run out of his home may be the more correct and uh, precise description. Run out of his home. Well, he wasn't actually running, Pete. At the time of his departure, he was merely strolling. We saw him. Here's the footage. He's he's ambling up the sidewalk. <laughs> so he wasn't run out of his apartment, his condo, rather. He's not the only one, by the way. This story out of St. Louis, the Post-Dispatch says Mayor, is it Lida? L-Y-D-A. Lida? Lida? Whatever. Mayor Krusen has temporarily relocated after a string of protests at her central West End home. The mayor confirmed that she and her husband, former television reporter Mike Owens, have been living at an apartment also in the Central West End, which I'm guessing now they're going to have to move from next <laughs> because of this story. Quote, we have not lived at home for two months, Krusen said in a text message to a reporter. 
Quote, we did it to de-escalate the situation. To de-escalate. I guess that is a way to de-escalate is to run, flee the scene, surrender to the mob. That is one way to de-escalate is to just, you know, submit. True. Also, she says they did it to save police resources and importantly, because our neighbors were being disturbed and threatened. Do you remember who the McCloskeys are? Yeah, these were her neighbors. The mayor said, for me, it comes with the territory. I ran for this job, but my neighbors did not. She said she and her husband paid for their alternate lodging out of their own funds. She said no city money has been used for it or campaign funds. Um, Protesters appeared at Cruson's home several times in late June and early July. She said the last time was in early August, but she wasn't there for that um, because the mayor says she stopped staying at her home in early July. This was after Mark and Patricia McCloskey came outside of their home with the firearms and the protesters who had broken into the community trying to march on the mayor's home and uh, the McCloskeys came out uh, with the weapons. So and then after that, that's when the mayor moved and has basically gone into hiding. That's essentially what's going on here, right? They, they, they've gone into hiding. The, Ted Wheeler as well, the mayor of or sorry, yeah, the mayor of Portland, Oregon, he said he's moving from his condo, $840,000 condo. And uh, he says he's moving because of, quote, repeated protests there. In Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has assigned police officers to block protesters in front of her home, saying that she has received threats against herself, her wife, and their home. Police had effectively banned protesters from her block. By the way, Lightfoot is a black lesbian, like, I'm not like this is the problem with identity politics. It's just it <laughs> it's so hard to keep track of who's right based on uh, all of their their identities at any given moment. It's just it, it's a constant. We need an app, right? We need an app to let us know when the ground shifts underneath our feet. What's acceptable? What's no longer acceptable? Uh, because if we're all trying to stay on the right side of the mob, then uh, I think it's only fair that they tell us what that right side is. Um, even if it changes, you know, minute to minute, we need to have some sort of constantly updated app. Or, you know, you can put it on your little smartphone uh, or a, a, a smartwatch, you know, like people have. And they have all of their text messages binging them all the time on their wrist. And they're constantly looking at their wrist. And I'm like, what? Are you you got to go someplace? Oh, no, no. I'm just looking at the text messages. Oh, that's better. <laughs> Rather than looking at your watch while talking to me, you're looking at completely different conversations while you're talking to me. That's so much better. <laughs> uh, speaking of so much better, you can have a website that is so much better. All you need to do is call my friend Schaefer Smith. It's true. Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design. Great design can actually solve a lot of websites' problems that people don't even realize they've got problems. Uh, you know, like your user interface is uh, it's not intuitive and it's not user friendly. And so you want it to be that way. So people, you know, come to the website, they figure out where to go very quickly, and it's all very uh, helpful for them. And you'll, you'll get more business that way. So get Schaefer Smith to help you with your website. You know your business. He knows websites, professional services, corporate, small businesses, and entrepreneurs. He can help you with graphics, photos, build out an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. He does logos, too. He did mine. So go to SchaeferSmith.com. Get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. By the way, links are also at ThePeteCalendarShow.com. Although I'm not sure which one's easier to spell. He spells his name, by the way, S-H-E-A. 
F-F-E-R. So it's like Shea Stadium, Schaefer Smith, because there are a lot of different ways to spell Schaefer. Yes. So anyway, uh, Schaefer Smith design. Um, so this mayor of Chicago, she's had to have cops uh, uh, protecting her house, which is kind of ironic because, uh, you know, they're all of the defund the police and cops stink and all of that stuff. But, you know, we're going <laughs> to we're going to put them all around my house. I'm not going to have cops defend all of the properties that are getting looted and uh, burned down in, in Chicago. But I'm going to have them you know, guard my place because that's my place. You see, the Chicago Tribune. Uh, reported that some of her neighbors were complaining about this approach because they're, the cops are out there checking IDs before they let anybody get close to their house. <laughs> so the neighbors are getting caught up in the in the ID checkpoints. Sydney Taro, a sociologist at Cornell University and author of the book Power in Movement, said protesting outside the homes of public officials was a, quote, very bad move for the movement. He called it the flip side of the Trump administration's personalism. It substitutes personal animosity for policy differences. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I thought that's where we all were. Weren't we all on the same page? We just attack people now. We don't we don't have discussions about the policies. <laughs> Come on. Like this is what am I missing here? This has been that it's been this way for a while. People like Trump didn't start that. Trump didn't start that. Um. Let's see. Going back, let's see. George Bush is Hitler. I think that's probably the first time. Well, I'm, I know Bob Dole. Well, but he was kind of just seen as fuddy-duddy. Like the left has been a, has been personally attacking uh, Republicans and uh, conservative politicians and talking heads my entire adult life. Personally attacking them rather than attacking the policy or debating policy. That's the thing. Like there's this assumption that the conservative uh, proponent of a particular policy is at their core racist and sexist and homophobic and xenophobic. They just hate everybody that's not a straight white male. I think that's the, the criteria. And that's why, by the way, a lot of people have this cognitive dissonance when they hear and see uh, you know, people that like, for example, black conservatives that are voting for Trump, they're all on the Trump train and they're like, I'm black, I'm voting for Trump. And and, and a lot of folks on the left don't know how to deal with that <laughs> because it, in their view, right, they're coming from a position where everything is wrapped up in this identity. And if you are a conservative, that means you hate everybody. And so that's why you get these accusations that if you are a black conservative or a black Trump supporter, then you must hate yourself, right? That you're a race traitor of some kind. Um, in, uh, let's see here, do, 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 oh, the Sydney, uh, I was going back to the Chicago deal, but Sydney Tarot, a sociologist at Cornell University, says, if you want to bring about progressive change in this country, you don't want to attack individuals, you want to attack their ideas and put forth better ones. Yeah, I don't think that's the case anymore. Have you seen what's going on <laughs> in the cities around America? I think that ship has sailed. I'm not sure anybody's actually interested in having real policy discussions i think we're beyond that oh here's an update to a story we covered the other day michael reinal 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 anyway the the 100 percent antifa guy who uh shot and killed a patriot prayer guy out on the street after somebody said he's a trumper get him and then he bam bam shot him uh he's dead now too 
Michael Reinold, Antifa militant who admitted to fatally shooting Aaron Danielson in Portland, uh, was shot dead by law enforcement amid an investigation. This occurred uh, a few hours ago, actually. The Post-Millennials editor-at-large, Andy No, confirmed Reinold's death in Lacey, Washington, when United States Marshals moved to arrest him. Reinold was... Uh, uh, had reportedly fled Oregon, crossed state lines into Washington State. A federal fugitive task force located him outside of Olympia. He reportedly left an apartment complex and appeared to be armed, according to the Olympian newspaper. And he entered a vehicle, and then he got stopped by law enforcement and witnesses at the scene, according to KATU saw an unmarked SUV parked on uh, on the side of the road, and when the vehicle converged with another uh, on the car at the apartment, the suspect reportedly exited his vehicle and fired what was believed to be an assault rifle or a, a defense rifle. Um, at the SUV, bystanders noted hearing 40 or 50 shots, and then officers returned fire, hitting him. The New York Times reports that an arrest warrant had been issued earlier by the Portland Police Bureau on the same day that Vice News published a feature interview with the suspect alleging that he acted in self-defense by shooting Aaron Danielson. It was reported that uh, on Antifa message boards, Reynolds' death is being called a police execution. An Antifa Twitter account called for the names of the officers involved in the shooting to be reported using a pig emoji and listing a site where the names could be sent. I'm sure for peaceful purposes, right, Antifa? Yeah. Meanwhile, the sheriffs of Clackamas and Washington County out in Oregon say that they will not send staff to help with protests in Portland after the Oregon governor, Kate Brown, unveiled a plan to undress the violence or to did I say undress to address the violence at the protest. So the governor comes out and gives this big plan. Hey, I got a plan and we're going to call on several law enforcement agencies to come help, including the sheriff's offices of Washington and Clackamas counties. Which, just as a side note, I love saying Clackamas County. It's just such a fun word to say, Clackamas County. It sounds like a musical instrument, you know, Clackamas. Well, like a percussion instrument, obviously, but it does sound like one. Clackamas County Sheriff Craig Roberts said the governor did not approach his office before rolling out the plan intended to address the violence and arson while also protecting free speech. Washington County Sheriff Pat Garrett, didn't that didn't he kill... Yeah, didn't he kill Billy the Kid? Anyway, Pat Garrett cited several risks that led to the decision, including the lack of political support for public safety, the uncertain legal landscape, the current volatility combined with intense scrutiny on use of force. Yeah, precisely. Why would law enforcement outside of the Portland jurisdiction want to go help, knowing that anything that they do will be used against them and incite violence against them? Right. Why would you send your your officers to uh, to Portland, knowing that the DA's keep releasing everybody? The prosecutors refuse to hold anybody. The magistrates and judges, they're not holding anybody. People that get charged are just turned loose right out onto the street and they go right back to the protesting. Right. And anything that you do is going to get caught on video. Your your officers are going to be doxxed which means you know their names and addresses and uh, all of their social media stuff and their families, they're all going to be put out on the internet for targeting, 
for abuse and harassment and violence and such. Like, why would you put your people through that? Particularly when you weren't even asked, right? The governor didn't even ask if she could do this. Governor Brown's plan also says that Gresham police would help with the protest response. KATU-TV reached out to Gresham PD, and they said that they are currently in discussions on whether or not they will assist. So they haven't even decided yet. She just rolled this plan out without talking to them. The Oregon Association Chiefs of Police also spoke out and said that it cannot dedicate our limited resources away from the communities we serve. So they're declining to participate in the brilliant plan that nobody knew about until the governor unveiled it. (laughs) These people are nuts. Uh, Federal authorities are now starting to charge demonstrators. Two men, this is from the Oregonian, two men and a woman appeared before a federal judge this week in Portland, becoming the first in Oregon to face the rare federal charge of civil disorder for alleged violence during this summer's turbulent protests. One launched a ball bearing with a slingshot during a downtown demonstration in July. Uh, It struck a Portland Fire Bureau medic. It's a fire department, firefighter. It's a medic. They were trying to, the firefighters were trying to put out a fire that was set by the Antifa people. This person was a medic. He was there, and he got hit with a ball bearing uh, that was launched from a wrist rocket slingshot. That'll kill you, by the way. It can kill you. Um, another one who was charged for throwing a helmet that struck a police sergeant in the head. Another used a hammer, allegedly, to strike the glass above the front door of the police bureau's east precinct uh, and then elbowed an officer in the face uh, and then after that arrest was released and then threw frozen eggs and other objects at police three days later. U.S. attorneys in half a dozen other cities have brought similar civil disorder charges. Critics have argued that the new charges represent a stretch of federal authority to appease Trump's desire for forceful intervention in the protests. Um, There are a lot more people than just Donald Trump that are interested in seeing some more forceful interventions, okay? Just to be clear, this isn't just about Donald Trump. There are a lot of people that have had just about enough of your horse hockey. Just about enough of it. Um... They say, these critics say, they say the Constitution limits the role of the federal government in what have routinely been handled as state crimes. And I agree, by the way, I don't like the idea of the feds uh, going into these locations and starting to press charges against people because these are state laws, right? The, the, The states are the seminal authority on this stuff. And that's why, you know, when, when you get charged with something, usually it's the state versus you, right? That's how the charging documents are. They're the ones, the state DA, the prosecutors for the county, they represent the state and they they charge you. Unless, of course, you violated some federal statute and then the U.S. attorney comes after you and that's, you know, the United States versus you. But most of these types of crimes are state level crimes. But what happens when the state doesn't prosecute? Then what? Do you just abandon the citizens of that city, of that county, of that state? If you're the federal government, you just you just leave them to descend into violence and chaos. You allow there to be an insurrection in one of these cities because the local leadership is on board with the insurrection. Because really, like you get to a point where <laughs> you kind of have to wonder, but you guys don't really oppose all of this stuff, do you? 
you're just like picking them up and throwing them right back out onto the streets. So it kind of sends this message that you're okay with some of these tactics. Um, here's a quote from an attorney, Stephen Cantor, Dean Emeritus at Lewis and Clark Law School. Quote, it's dangerous to allow the federal government to dip in and supersede state and local criminal authority, except in the most extreme, most justified cases. Show of hands, who thinks this is one of those cases? <laughs> who thinks this is one of those times? Are we? Do you think we're, we are in most extreme and most justifiable circumstances? Cantor noted that Federal civil disorder statute was adopted in 1968 in the midst of civil rights turmoil. He said, quote, oftentimes these kinds of broad statutes can be misused when there are not more substantive underlying crimes. Again, I agree. Absolutely. Government can commit abuses, which is why I am a limited government guy. I like to keep government small, limited, so this way the abuses that it can do are more limited, right? When you give GovCo a lot of power, they then have a lot, it has a lot of power to abuse you. At some point, like I'm waiting, I'm waiting for my friends on the left to finally recognize this point, right? Like I thought we were almost there when uh, with the, you know, the rise of this anti-cop bias and, oh, the cops are killing all of these minority people. And it's like, well, they're enforcing the laws of the state. Like they are law enforcement agents, right? So if you don't want them to have these kinds of interactions with citizens, then you repeal a lot of the laws. But what do we see time and time again? No, they're just like more law, more laws. I mean, you got Joe Biden and Kamala Harris talking about national mask mandates. What do you think happens in that circumstance, right? When you've got people without the masks on, what, do you, what are you incentivizing? More interactions between law enforcement agents and citizens. So if you make government smaller, then it doesn't have this kind of power to abuse citizens. But I know it's like beating your head against a wall. Jonathan Adler, a law professor at the Case Western University, I'm sorry, the Case Western Reserve University School of Law, wrote for Reason Magazine this summer, a libertarian publication, that property destruction and violence against others at protests on city streets, quote, should be prosecuted by state and local governments, not the feds. And I tend to agree. Unless, of course, the state and local governments refuse to do so. If they are refusing to, uh, to prosecute any of these crimes... And letting people just out back out onto the street to further victimize more people. And up in, you know, you got Portland and Seattle, you got people that are going back and forth across state lines. Well, you know what? Now you could make a case that the feds need to intervene because at some point the local authorities become accessories, right? They become complicit in the destruction, in the insurrection attempts. And I have watched what has been going on in Portland for and Seattle for years now. And it's obvious that the local leadership there is a partner to these Antifa black bloc anarchists, these insurrectionists. They are partners with them. Now, that's not to say that the Antifa folks are going to uh, protect and celebrate and love these elected officials. No, that's again, they're the alligator and the alligator must be fed. And the leaders think that if we just feed them all of these other people uh, that, you know, you'll be safe. 
but it's going to eat you at some point, right? The alligator will eat you. you. It might eat you last, but it's going to eat you. And that's what you're seeing, right? When you're not woke enough, because you'll never be woke enough for the mob, ever. But they thought they could be. And so they partnered up with them, and they didn't want to anger the base. They were totally woke, and I'm hip, I'm cool, I'm in tune to the ways, so please elect me. I'm one of you. And what they're learning is, no, you're actually not. You're not. You may have thought you were, but they view you as part of the system that they would like to tear down and replace with another system that puts them in charge, not you. That's what it's about. Um, And... Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, maybe some of them are coming around to this idea. I don't think Ted Wheeler is yet. <laughs> He's just moving. The guy's got like four homes. So I don't really, I mean, it's hard for me to feel bad for him, but the principle is the same. You don't have the right to launch commercial fireworks at a condominium, uh, condominium building. I mean, think about all of the people that were in that building, little kids sleeping, and they got people outside shooting incendiary devices at their building. They set fires in there. Like when you're inside a building and someone is setting a fire outside your building, what are they trying to do? They're at the, yes, they're trying to scare you, intimidate you, but they're also sending a message that they would very much like to burn you alive simply because you live in a building that the mayor also lives in. That's the kind of people you're dealing with. They're alligators. They're going to eat you at some point. Um, one of the guys, remember I mentioned earlier with the slingshot attack, the wrist rocket. His name was his name is Jesse Herman Bates, thirty eight years old. Um, he had been released on state charges. He appeared then before a U.S. magistrate judge, and the prosecutor asked that he be released with a curfew of uh, nine thirty p.m. to five a.m. and a GPS monitoring bracelet. But his assistant public defender, Robert Hamilton urged that he be released with no conditions, saying that he already faces a pending case in state court in the same incident. See? So, he look, he's already got to be in court, so just release him without any other preconditions. Like, why would you do that? Oh, by the way, he did. They, he did get released. He was released. He, uh, they, uh, he did have the curfew, but no monitoring, no GPS monitoring. So unless he gets caught again, at the protest, like someone physically apprehends him at the at another protest, he's he he's free to violate that curfew. They're just telling him you got to be in nine thirty to five nine thirty p.m. to five a.m. And if you're not, well, let's hope we don't catch you. Like, what are they going to call the house or something? Maybe check in. But what happens if they don't even do that? Again, the guy was already facing charges in connection to this attack, and he's still out on the street participating in more riots here's another uh who was released uh with a curfew no gps monitoring the woman who threw a uh you know bashed a cop in the head with her bike helmet they keep getting released back out onto the streets to continue in their mayhem now if you're living in one of these areas and you're trying to get out call rowena Patton and she will find you a house here in the mountains her phone number is 333-4483. If you're looking to sell, folks, there are a lot of people fleeing the cities that are willing to pay a lot of money for your land or your property, so uh, your house. So give her a call. She will get your house sold fast. And for more money, it's what she has been doing for uh, 20 years now, almost in the mountains here. And she's outselling 99% of the realtors in the entire state. She is the only agent that I've ever endorsed, and she is the only agent we called when we're, uh, Christy and I are now buying a house, and uh, she's the only agent we called because we trust her, we believe in her, and she's great. 
and she's got houses in all price points. She has buyers lined up. 828-333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. So Matthew Commander Red Banta. Do you know who this is? Goes by the name Commander Red. <laughs> He's an Antifa jerk. He's an Antifa jerk from Wisconsin in Green Bay. Police up there reported over the weekend that they had caught Commander Red with a flamethrower and smoke grenades on his way to a protest. It's a sim- it's, see, it's simply a peaceful protest. Who doesn't bring a flamethrower to a peaceful protest? So when they... <laughs> you're going to listen to the details of this arrest. This is by Ed Morrissey at hotair.com. Okay, <laughs> so here's what happened. Anina, I guess that's a place in Wisconsin. Anina man had a flamethrower, smoke grenades, and fireworks during a demonstration in Green Bay Saturday night, according to police and prosecutors. Matthew Banta, 23, is charged with obstructing an officer and two counts of felony bail jumping. Two counts of felony bail jumping. So what do we just... Another example, right? Not showing up to court. He gets charged, he gets released, and then nothing happens to him, right? And so he just never shows. So now Green Bay police say that they were called for what they described as, quote, a whole bunch of white people. (laughs) Well, well, I mean, come on. It, It is Wisconsin. So they were called for a whole bunch of white people with sticks, baseball bats, and helmets headed towards the police. Um, And Green Bay Police Chief Andrew Smith said, quote, I don't know who comes to a protest with a baseball bat for anything other than criminal or illegal activity. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, A responding officer said he saw four individuals walking towards a protest with baseball bats. One man was wearing a metal helmet with goggles and a military-style gear with multiple pouches, and he was carrying an Antifa flag. Wait. Wait. An Antifa flag? Well, that's not possible. How is it possible? Antifa's not an organization. Antifa doesn't have this kind of uh, level of, of coordination or organization. It's just a bunch of people. They're like, come on, what are we talking about Antifa flag? No, he had a flag, which actually <laughs> made it very easy <laughs> to chase him because he did not drop the flag. <laughs> And so the think about it, dude's walking down the street and he's with these other people and they're like, oh, it's the fuzz, quick run. And so everybody scatters and you got these three people, they run in different directions. But the one dude with the big Antifa flag, he just keeps running with the flag, right? So the officer <laughs> catches him, of course. Uh, and uh, when they when the officer catches up to him, Commander Red drops to the ground into a fetal position and begins crying. (laughs) This is Commander Red, 23-year-old Matthew Banta. Um, He then accuses the officer of laying on him. The officer says, uh, nobody's on top of you, kid. It's just you and the flag on the ground, crying, curled up in a ball. Keep in mind, this is Ed Morrissey. Keep in mind, though, that this is actually a tactical and strategic response for Antifa members. When approached by superior police force, they attempt to make themselves look like victims of police abuse, or at least nothing more than innocent demonstrators. It might be amusing to watch 
and to read about later. I mean, heck, it is amusing, right, to read that the guy cried like a baby. But um, people should understand this as a tactic. What is much less amusing and even enraging is that Banta was out on the street at all because a few weeks earlier he had been charged, listen to this, with pointing a loaded rifle at a cop biting and kicking a police officer and using a dangerous weapon to resist arrest. Not only was the rifle loaded and a bullet chambered in it, he was also carrying 117 rounds of ammo at the time he was on his way to the demonstration, or at that demonstration, rather. That's not the kind of weapon nor the ammo load for self-defense, but it does fit an intent to commit an offensive operation. So why was Banta out on the street at all? Well, he got assessed a bail for 10 grand. That was the first incident, 10 grand. Despite the multiple charges, he was told, now don't you carry any dangerous weapons. Okay, as long as you agree to not do that, you can go. And so that was a condition of his release. And not only did he participate in more actions, more of these demonstrations, he specifically violated that arrangement that he had agreed to. So what did the arraigning judge do in this second instance? He set Banta's bail at $2,500. The first bail was set at ten grand. The second is now set at $2,500, so a quarter of the original bail case, or the original bail in, in the original case. Even though Banta deliberately violated the conditions of that first release. And so, like what? Ed Morrissey says, are they waiting for Banta to actually kill somebody? before they address the fact that this is clearly his goal, much like it was for this guy, Reinald, who's now dead in Portland, right? This is only going to get better when judges and prosecutors start imposing serious consequences for the commander Reds who are on the streets right now. That's how this gets better. Now, if you want a better mattress, you go to Mattress Man, and we all know that. I actually got a, uh, <clears throat> I got a message the other day from Manuel, longtime listener of the show. He says, by the way, Pete, uh, about a month ago, I bought a mattress from Mattress Man in Hendersonville, and they provided outstanding service at what I thought was a great price. Delivery and setup was done very professionally, as you mentioned on your podcast. I do mention all of those things. You get great deals, you get great mattresses, and you get local five-star white glove delivery service. And you have a 120-day comfort guarantee. Now, they do ship nationwide. So if you're listening to the podcast outside of Western North Carolina, they ship. They will ship it to you. Um, they have a triple zero deal going on, which is zero down, 0% APR for up to 24 months, and zero payments for 90 days, zero, zero, zero. You can also pick up a queen-size gel memory foam mattress for just $3.99, and you can pick up a free bedding bundle, including the sheets, the protector, and the pillows with the purchase of select mattresses. They have the Biltmore Collection, which... Uh, these are uh, mattresses made by Restonic in Fayetteville. These are the beds that are in the Biltmore Hotel and Inn. And so if you want to sleep on some pretty awesome mattresses, you go to Mattress Man. Mattressmanstores.com, four locations in Hendersonville, Asheville, and Arden. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local. At Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. By the way, if you have uh, experiences with any of the clients here that advertise on the program, please send them to me. I want to hear from them, and I will read your testimonials as part of the uh, uh, endorsements here. 
because that I mean really like that's that's what we do this for that's why they're here that's why they want uh, they're advertising with me and I want to share uh, their story with you and your stories with them and others uh, President Trump is all, is now ordering federal officials to begin the process of defunding New York City and three other cities where officials have allowed lawless protests uh, and cut police budgets amid rising violent crime. This is a New York Post exclusive that Trump signed a five-page memo ordering all federal uh, agencies to send reports to the White House Office of Management and Budget that detail funds that can be redirected. Uh, uh, The OMB, New York City, Washington, D.C., Seattle, and Portland are the initial targets. Federal agencies have to uh, detail, quote, all federal funds provided to Seattle, Portland, New York City, Washington, D.C. Within 14 days, the Attorney General Bill Barr is going to have to develop a list of, quote, anarchist jurisdictions that permitted violence and the destruction of property to persist and have refused to undertake reasonable measures to restore order. The memo does not require Attorney General Barr to include the four cities, and that might be due to legal reasons, according to the Post's uh, the near post story. The memo instructs White House budget director Russ Vaught to issue guidance in 30 days, quote, to the heads of agencies on restricting eligibility of or otherwise disfavoring to the maximum extent permitted by law anarchist jurisdictions in the receipt of federal programs. The amounts of money impacted by Trump's order could be massive. New York City, for example, gets about seven billion dollars a year in federal aid. New York City has seen violence surge while arrests have plummeted under Bill de Blasio. Now, what do you think of this tactic? Because, like, honestly, if they're not going to abide by constitutional societal norms, if they are going to abandon policing, if they're going to abandon um, criminal justice, and they're going to just keep letting people behave like this, then, okay, you know what, if you don't want the feds prosecuting all of these people, okay, then don't you, you don't get any federal money. Because honestly, like, here, Vaught, he says, the White House budget director, he says, American taxpayers who fund the great programs that our cities rely on deserve to be protected by their local city officials. Right, because those people who are living in these cities that do not agree with these protests and the lack of response and punishment from their local government, who may not have any voice, like like for me, for example, citizen of Asheville, I have zero representation on city council. Um, I don't have any representation at the state level either. So how do I get any of these leftists to listen to my views and to look out for what I believe to be are the important things government should be looking out for, right? Where do I go? Right? This is why you want different levels of government. They all act as, they all act as checks and balances against one another, right? And so if you've got, like me, a federal taxpayer, I'm living in an area and they're refusing to uh, enforce law, they're refusing to guard my constitutional rights, Right. They're refusing to punish people who violate my constitutional rights. So then where do I turn? What do I do? A lot of people are fleeing. True enough. A lot of people are taken off. They're leaving, heading for the hills. Um, But for those who remain, does the federal government have an obligation to protect those people and their lives and property? And if so, how best to do that? And one way that the federal government has done this over the years in order to get states to do what they want them to do. They cut off the money. First, they offer you the money, of course, like, 
here you go, man, first bump's free. And then you get hooked, and then they're like, okay, well, now you got to lower your speed limit. And if you don't lower your speed limit, you don't get any of your money back. <laughs> and now New York State and these Democrats that are running the city and the state up there, they're going to say, well, this is our money. When actually it's not your money, right? It's the people's money. The people who live there that paid into the system, right? It's their money. And they would very much like to have their rights protected. And you're not doing it. And so if you're not going to do it, why should you get that money? Like, honestly, why do you think you deserve the money if you're not holding up your end of the social contract? See, it, it, this really does get to a simple and fundamental question of the role of government in the society, right? That people will give up a little bit of their freedom for the security of the government. But if the government is unable or unwilling to fulfill their end of that bargain, then you lose the legitimacy that comes with that mutually agreed upon contract. You are now an illegitimate government. You are simply taking freedom, not providing security, and trampling people's rights or ignoring them, right? So a senior member of the administration uh, told the, the New York Post that, quote, taxpayers should not foot the bill for local politicians' dereliction of duty. And President Trump is ensuring that taxpayer dollars are not wasted by lawless mayors. The list of cities and possibly states will be updated periodically with input from the Justice Department, the official said, and federal agencies will be directed to revise grant conditions when applicable to uphold the rule of law. The official said that Portland, the smallest city on the list, got more than $252 million in federal funds in the fiscal year 2019, including use for police operations. So, oh, the irony... At the end of the day, it might very well be Donald Trump that defunds the police. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, <laughs> New York State's Governor Andrew Cuomo, did you hear about this? After this story ran in the New York Post, he got on a conference call with some reporters and uh, Cuomo just ripped into Trump, threatened him. He threatened the president. He says, he better have an army if he thinks he's going to walk down the street in New York. New Yorkers don't want to have anything to do with him. <laughs> so, yeah, Cuomo, who, like Trump, is from Queens, New York, uh, said he can't have enough bodyguards to walk through New York City. People don't want to have anything to do with him. It's more of the same from him. He says it's political, it is gratuitous, and it is illegal, but it is another attempt to kill New York City. Unlike my attempt to kill people, old people, by forcing COVID patients into nursing homes, causing the worst outbreaks in the United States. That's totally different. <laughs> Come on. Well, all right. He didn't say that last part. I, I may have... I may have put that last part in. <laughs> I may have added that. Speaking of COVID, by the way, do you want to prevent any kind of outbreaks at your workplace or maybe you're a property manager? Maybe you help run a, a daycare or a charter school or a church. You want to clean the place, but you don't want to invest in like, uh, you, you know, like pallets of uh, wipes and, uh, uh, and uh, what the hand sanitizer lotion or whatever that stuff is, the hand sanitizer, right? You don't have to keep buying all of this stuff. I got a solution for you. You rent the Karcher Mister from General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. It's got vinyl oxide disinfectant. You use this thing. It's like a size of uh, like a shop vac. So you just roll it around. It's cordless. 
which is super easy. Like it didn't like the shop backs always had cords. So that was always a hassle. Um, but this doesn't even have a cord. You just roll it around and you spray it all down and you're then good for like up to 10 days. Everything is then disinfectant, uh, disinfected, sanitized, deodorized for up to 10 days. And then all you have to do is spot clean the high traffic areas. The Karcher Mister from General Equipment Rental. Safe for kids, safe for pets, food contact surfaces as well. This vital oxide disinfectant is an all-in-one hospital-grade, EPA-approved, germicidal disinfectant, sanitizer, and deodorizer. It kills 99.9% of infection-causing bacteria and viruses, including coronavirus and norovirus and the bird flu and MRSA and E. coli and influenza B and mold and mildew and fungi. Is there anything it can't do? I'm not sure. You don't even have to rinse it afterwards. It's non-toxic. It's also uh, hypoallergenic. It is odorless. It is colorless. It is 100% biodegradable. Okay, so you can spray this down, and like people aren't even going to know. It's not going to smell like uh, you know, like a lemon tree or like uh, alcohol, uh, you know, like the sanitizer stuff does. So go over to General Equipment Rental in Weaverville and check out this uh, uh, this Mister System. It's Karcher C or sorry K A R C H E R Karcher. Mister is what it is. Go to their website, generalrents.com. And if you go to generalrents.com forward slash Pete, you will get a coupon for two free cloth face coverings. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com, and think outside your toolbox. So during this pre- uh, this conference call, this press call that uh, the governor of New York made, where uh, he said that, uh, you know, Donald Trump cannot walk down the streets in New York. He says, I think it's because he is from New York, he, New York City, and New York City rejected him always. He was dismissed as a clown in New York City. Those who know him best like him least. He was disrespected in New York City. Nobody took him seriously. He was just a tabloid cartoon. And then maybe sensing that his comments may be interpreted as a threat. (laughs) He says at the end of the call, my comments about the president and bodyguards in New York City, look, all I'm saying is that he is persona non grata in New York City. And I think he knows that. He'll never come back to New York because New Yorkers will never forget how gratuitously mean he has been to New Yorkers and how many times he's tried to kill the city that gave him his start and birthed him. That's what I meant by the bodyguards. <laughs> yeah, that's what you meant by the bodyguards. Right. It's See, like when you said that he can't have enough bodyguards to walk through the streets, he meant that in a sense that people don't like you, but not in a physical sort of way that they would attack you, just in a rhetorical way that like, oh, we really don't like this man. <laughs> it's like, <clears throat> what, uh, what was the more recent? Oh, yeah, well, I mean, it's like peaceful protests. So, like, you're seeing this, this, this narrative crafting. Like they really do think that we are all this stupid, right? I remember when we all used to laugh at Baghdad Bob, the guy in front of the you know downtown skyline of Baghdad as the American missiles are like bombing the city. It's all on fire and explosions all around him. He's like, the Americans are nowhere near Baghdad. You know, boom, boom, all going off behind him. Like that guy, he was like the, the information minister for Saddam Hussein, right? <laughs> we used to make fun of that. Now... Like that kind of gaslighting, that kind of like, you're not seeing this thing that you're actually seeing. Of course not. What are you insane? Um, Like that is now par for the course. It's all over the place. So here's a question. Why doesn't Donald Trump just send in the troops? 
Retired Colonel Kurt Schlichter, writing at townhall.com, he actually addresses this. It's a pretty lengthy piece, but here are some of the highlights. And I've got it linked up again at the Patreon page in Pete's prep. Put all of the notes up there. Trump pulling the trigger on the troops in the current situation is a very bad idea, he says. We should support his strategic patience and not do what the Democrats want by getting mad at the president for refusing to stumble into an ambush. He says, despite our fantastic soldiers' ability, this is a bad idea. Why? He says, first, let's address the donkey in the room. Boom. (laughs) Democrat governors, Democrat mayors, and district attorneys who do not want military forces deployed and will at least refuse to cooperate with them, if not actively hinder them. And that makes a blue city like Portland a, quote, non-permissive environment. And the military is certainly designed to operate in those places. That's why when the military moves in with force, say, like with an infantry brigade combat team of like 5,000 soldiers plus support elements, which is thousands more, we essentially deploy a small town with everything we need to survive. Food, fuel, ammo, medical, maintenance, comms, power, transportation, even lawyers, right? Typically in cities engulfed in chaos, he says, it's a permissive environment. The cops actually work with us. They take custody of arrestees. They hold them. The DAs prosecute them. Hospitals take in our wounded and our sick. We use local government property to operate out of. We have access to the infrastructure of the society. But what if the Democrat regime refuses to allow all of that? Well, then the troops are all on their own. It's now an invasion. And while doable, logistically, it takes a massive footprint. A permissive environment solves some but not all of the issues we will review. He says a non-permissive environment makes the whole thing exponentially worse. All right. By the way, um, if you need some military surplus, go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. Uh, I've been there. I've got stuff from him. Tim is great. He is. Uh, his dad started Old Grouch's 30-plus years ago, and now Tim runs the place. Uh, he's got an expanded line of first aid kits and medical supplies. He's got body armor made to NATO specs. These are for in-store or over-the-phone purchases only. He has face masks that are made by a locally disabled veteran family. They make them out of military parachutes. They are lightweight and soft. He has the old pre-banned steel gas cans, the good ones, and, of course, tons of real U.S. military surplus. Uh, For more than three decades, Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Shop is open Monday through Saturday, and it's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and online at oldgrouch.com. So Colonel Schlichter writing at townhall.com says, let's put aside the issue of logistics and talk tactics. What are the troops going to actually do? Do they patrol? We're going to have to wait on the vehicles. Do they go arrest looters? For what? Well, if they loot, if they violate federal law, like crossing a state line to riot, that's going to be easy. You hook them up, turn them over to the federal cops, U.S. attorney prosecutes them. But what if they commit a state crime, right? Most routine crimes are. He says in Los Angeles, 92, we grabbed a crook and handed him over to the LAPD. He went to jail and he got prosecuted. But the Portland police, they're ordered not to cooperate. The DA won't charge him, much less prosecute them. So what do you do with them? How do the feds hold a rioter for a state crime that he's not charged with? Non-permissive environments really stink, he says. What are the rules of engagement also? That's a pretty big question. The Democratic regimes down there, they would love nothing more than for a military unit to open fire on peaceful protesters. So would the media, by the way. If you're looking for fairness, right, how many of the mainstream outlets have reported that one of the criminals that Kyle Rittenhouse shot in self-defense was a convicted 
pedophile. These rioters have no actual power, he says. They don't hold ground, and a determined police presence, or response rather, by local cops with a DA who would then prosecute, if they had that, these rioters would scatter. The Democrats are using them to intimidate voters into accepting Joe Biden's implicit argument that if we allow the liberal establishment back into power, these bad people will go away. But they won't. But that's what the Democrats want you to think. But they won't. Okay? These Antifa and Black Lives Matter street punks can serve the liberal elite's cause just as well as martyrs. So the bottom line, all in all, sending military forces into a non-permissive environment in a blue city is a recipe for disaster, he says. He concludes his piece that you either go in and essentially invade the cities and use an iron fist to crush the riots and make Kent State's body count look as paltry as the audience for a Joe Biden rally, or you alienate some on your own side when you refuse to save the Democrat demagogues bacon by becoming the villain in their information operation. These hard truths are not to say that there's nothing for the feds to do until the Democrat regimes decide this needs to end and they cooperate, the feds should do one of the few things the feds are good at, taking down large criminal organizations. Antifa is just like a drug cartel with less testosterone, and they're just like the mafia, except with worse clothing and less testosterone. The feds should ignore the street thugs who make up the shock troops and go after the funders. The feds should focus on the LARPing middle-class social justice warriors and dedicated Marxist cadre and use RICO, conspiracy, and other federal charges and take them out and lock them up. When little Ashley from the suburbs realizes she's looking at five years in federal prison instead of heading back to Evergreen State to finish her Bolivian trans dance of the 13th century degree, the lawyer daddy buys will get her to sing like a canary about her commie pals. The feds should identify and map the whole criminal organization, identify its players and funding, and wipe it out. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for the support. We'll talk to you later, and don't break anything while I'm gone.